All right. How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, good, good. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, I had a friend named Megan, and Megan decided one day, randomly, I don't know why, that she wanted to run track, okay? She wanted to go out for track and field. And so uh, she had never done that before. She didn't know anything about it. And so she came to me. We had our lockers right next to each other. And she was like, hey, Zach, um, would you go out to track with me? And I'm a really good guy, all right? Especially back then in high school, I was just a good guy and a good friend. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not running track. I, have no, I don't know anything about track up until then. I'd only, you know, all I knew was football and wrestling. I didn't know anything else. I'm like, you know, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing that. I don't know anything about it. I'm not like fast. Like those guys are fast. And I don't, you know, and I don't, again, I don't know how that all goes. And so, uh, but she kept wearing me down. And uh, her whole thing was like, if you don't like it, you could, just, you, you could just quit. You know, you could stop going. I'm like, that's not who I am. If I start a sport, I'm doing it until it ends, like that season. I won't do it next year. But if I don't like it, but I'm, I'm, I'm in it. And, uh, and as the weeks went on, she wore me down until finally, it was like the week of the first day of track practice. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. All right, I'll do this. What, you know, at least I'll, it'll get me in better shape, I guess, for football. You know, I'm, I'm, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm like, it can't be bad for me, I guess. It'll just be embarrassing for me, and I will live with that for you, I guess. And, um, and so I go to um, the first practice. She's all happy about it. I'm like, okay, let's go. And so I go to the first practice. It's um, at the track. I graduated from Fremont. And uh, so it's behind the high school. And I get out there. And there's about 80 people, 80, like, other students out there. And so I'm kind of walking through the crowd. I'm embarrassed. Like, I don't know anybody. I'm outside of my comfort zone for sure. And I'm, like, looking, looking. And guess who wasn't there? Megan. She didn't go. She apparently, I found out the next day at school, um, that she decided, yeah, I probably don't want to do track anymore. But I'm there, and I'm, like, committed because I'm, like, I'm not going to quit. And so I go to my first track practice. I'm all alone. I feel I'm just, it's just awkward, and I'm a little embarrassed, and I don't know anybody. And I finally find three guys out of the 80 people that I knew, and uh, two of them were upperclassmen that I actually knew, ironically, from church. And then one guy I, who was in my grade that we weren't, like, super good friends, but we knew each other. We had had some classes together and had talked, like, a few times. And so I, uh, I kind of gravitated towards those people because that's all I knew. And so I'm kind of hanging out with them, joking around, and then the coach blows the whistle and is like, all right, um, two laps warm up. And I'm like, two laps around this? Like, that's half a mile. That's crazy. And I wasn't into running. And the most I had ever run before was a full mile. And that was in gym class because they made us. And so we did that. And I'm like huffing and puffing. And I, we do our stretches. And the coach comes out and says, all right, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to break up into the areas that you're going to be competing in. Okay, so if you want to do sprints, go over here with these coaches. If you want to do throws, go over here with these coaches. And if you want to do um, mid-distance or long-distance, go over here with these coaches. And I'm like, I'm not, not doing that. And I'm looking. Everybody's dispersing. I'm like, I'm just going to stick with these guys. And they all went to the distance coach. And I'm like, oh, no. But that's all I know, all right? I guess I'm going with them. I could probably switch someday. I don't know how this works. Then, like, set in stone or what? And so we go to this coach. His name was Coach Shides. Um, he, uh, he was actually, I had actually had him for gym the year before, so I kind of knew him. Actually, he was the teacher that made us run the mile, which kind of makes sense, which I hated. Anyway, so we go over to him, and he's like, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. It's the first day. We're taking it easy today. All right, I want you guys, again, this is in Fremont, I want you guys to go run to the presidential center, take a lap, and I want you to come back. And I'm like, like my mouth drops. I'm like, that's across town. 
Yeah, people can't do that. They run across town like we're on the north side of town. That's on the south side of town. You want us to run to the presidential center? Like, that doesn't even seem safe. Like, we're just kids. I mean, what if we get, like, picked up or something? You know, kidnapping. I don't know. It just didn't seem right. And, uh, and, and so they're all like, all my friends are all like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Or the three people that I kind of knew. They're like, all right. And they're getting ready, and they all take off. And I go up to the coach, and I'm like, um, Shides, um, I can't do that. Like, I'm just telling you right now. Like, I can't run that far. And he's like, all right, well, have you done this before? I'm like, no. Well, your gym class last year, we ran that mile once. That's the only thing I've ever done. And he's like, all right, Zach, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go a few blocks down this way. Then I want you to cut over a few blocks that way. Then I want you to come a few blocks down this way. And he just basically gave me a big old square to come in or a circle, really. Um, and, uh, and he's like, then you could come back and that'll be your first day and we'll all be good. And so I'm like, I don't even think I could do that, but okay, I'll figure it out. And so I start going. And I'm this kid. I never ran like that before. I'm wearing like basketball shorts like below my knees. I'm wearing my skater shoes because that was cool back then. You know what I'm talking about? And so I start running, and uh, I got the cramp thing going on, and I'm hurting. I'm like, this is the worst decision I've ever made in my entire life. And I'm hating on Megan a whole lot right now. And as I'm running, my shoes, I look down at my shoes, and they're literally falling apart, okay? Like, I can like see my, like my socks are busting out of them, and they weren't made for this, okay? And, um, and I have to, like, ball up my feet to keep them from falling off of my feet. You know what I'm talking about? And so it was just terrible. And I remember when I finally got back to the track, I go up to the coach, and everybody else is back, even though I had to run half the distance of what everybody else had to do. And I go up to him, and he's like, he looks at me kind of up and down, and uh, he's like, you're going to need some new shoes. And I'm like, yeah, because they're, like, all, all, they're all broken apart at the, every seam. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, you need a, you're going to need some new shoes tonight. And I, I don't remember doing this, but I must have gotten the new shoes that very night because I never wore those shoes ever again. And, um, and his whole point is you need to take off those shoes. Those are messing you up. You are, they're, they're holding you back. And you need to put on um, some good new shoes that are actually made for this. You need to go buy some running shoes. And what's interesting is that Paul's going to use this same type of thinking, really the same language, uh, to describe how we should live our Christian life. And basically what he's going to tell us today is he's saying, hey, there is some stuff that you need to take off. Right? There's some stuff that is, that is weighing you down. It's stuff that's going to be slowing you down as you run the, through life, as you run the, the race of life. And uh, there is some stuff that we need to put on to improve how we live, especially as Christians. And really, right where we're at in this letter, we're going through the, the letter of Colossians or the book of Colossians. Um, this is like the pivot point of the book. All right, so it's a four chapters in the book. He just spent the first two chapters really telling us about who Jesus is. He's saying, hey, Jesus is God. He's king. He's supreme. I mean, he's got everything going on. He's the image of the invisible God. He owns the world. He, everything exists because at one point Jesus decided it should exist and he created it. I mean, Jesus is even actively right now. He's the one that's holding everything and holding all of us all together. And so he's already explained that, and then he explains us and our relationship with him, saying, hey, we are enemies of that guy. Which, if you think about it, probably not the person we want to be enemies with, okay? Someone who caused us to exist, okay? Who's 
beyond power, right? And we were enemies of him, and we were dead on the inside. And so Jesus, he didn't just use that authority and power to crush us or to rule over us. He gave us the ability to choose to have a relationship with him. And really what he did 2,000 years ago is, this is the whole gospel, right? He stepped off his throne and went running after us. And ultimately, he gave his life. And when he did that, he erased our debt that we owed him because of all of our sin, which is a huge debt, and he gave us the ability to become alive in a spiritual and real sense. So that's what Paul has spent the first two chapters talking about. That's what we've spent the last four weeks talking about. But now Paul transitions. And he's saying, because of who Jesus is and because of what he did for us, now the question is, how does that change my life? And Paul's got a few ideas, okay? And so today what we're going to do is Paul's going to give us three lists, all right? Keep it simple, three. Uh, the first two lists, he's going to say, hey, these are two lists of things that you should not do, all right? These are things that you need to stop doing and one list of things that we should start doing. And the language that he uses here is just kind of like clothes. He's like, you need to take off this and this and you need to put on this, all right? So we're going to go through 17 verses today. That's a lot. I recognize that but we're going to get through it, okay? Good? Okay. All right. Whatever. You guys. All right. Here we go. I heard one guy. Yeah. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Everybody else is like, oh, okay. All right. So here we go. He says, so if. Can't make it in without stopping at the second word, okay? This is a big if right here. He's saying, hey, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's, and by the way, if you don't, basically what Paul's like, then you might as well not even go on, okay, because this doesn't apply to you at all. But if you do, meaning if you did at one point in your life give your life over to Jesus, just know the stuff that Paul's going to be writing about today is for you, all right? It's for me, and it's for you. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ, and this is how he describes our, if those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus. He's saying, when that happens, we actually have been raised with Christ. Now, it's interesting because last week, right, we talked about how we were dead. Paul, he mentions that. And how God, Jesus, he made us alive. Literally, he raised us from the dead on the inside. And so because of that, we should be different, right? We should be different. Um, it reminds me of Lazarus. You guys, we, we've talked about the story of Lazarus. Uh, we talked about this just a few months ago, right before Easter. This guy named Lazarus, uh, who was actually one of Jesus' really good friends, and Lazarus ends up getting sick, and Jesus is not around to, like, heal him or do anything. And so Lazarus' sisters, remember what they do? They sent, like, a message to Jesus, who's, like, several towns away, several days away, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you better get here quick. You better, you know, because your boy Lazarus, he's sick, and he could possibly die. Like, it is not looking good for him. And Jesus gets the message. Remember what he does? He's like, thanks. Tell him I got the message. I'm going to stay here for a while. What? That doesn't sound right. And so Jesus waits a few days, and then he goes to where Lazarus is. And when he gets there, remember Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they come up to Jesus both at two different times. They're like, Jesus, what the heck, man? If you would have been here, you could have saved our brother from dying. And Jesus is like, don't worry about this. I got this under control. Where did you bury him? And so they show him. They're like, oh, yeah, here's his tomb. Everybody's crying. He got this huge crowd of people around. And uh, Jesus says, hey, why don't you roll away that stone from that, that, stone from that 
tomb. And they're like, no, Jesus, you don't want to do that because he's been dead for days. It's hot out. He's going to be stinking. It's not going to be good. It's a little embarrassing. Come on, Jesus, no. And he's like, no, no, do it. And so they, they, they do it. And Jesus yells out. He's like, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And remember what happens? Lazarus comes on out. He's all wrapped in his, like, burial claws and stuff. And Jesus is like, something, help that guy out, right? He's, he can't breathe under those things. And, and they go and they unwrap Lazarus and, uh, and he was dead and then he was alive. Have you ever thought about what it would have been like to have been Lazarus? You ever thought about that? The dude was dead, right? I mean, this guy is dead. He had been dead for days. I mean, how would it have been to be like him? How, like, do you think when Lazarus was raised from the dead, do you think maybe, just maybe, he viewed his life a little bit different? Anybody out there? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Here we go. All right. Like, I'm guessing. I don't know this for sure because I've never met the guy, and, uh, and the Bible doesn't tell us. But I'm guessing that probably the things that he worried about before he died, when he gets raised from the death, I'm, pro- I'm guessing that he's not so worried about those things anymore. You know what I'm talking about? I'm guessing that the things that he was so anxious about before his first death, all right, I'm guessing those things, he, all of a sudden he's not anxious about those things anymore. Like, we know that Lazarus, he was a single guy, so I bet he doesn't come and he's not, you know, he doesn't get raised from the dead and he walks out and after a couple of days he's just like, God, man, I'm still single. Are you kidding me right now? Where am I going to get a wife? What's going to happen here? What, you know, how am I going to have kids? I'm trying to start a family. I'm, the, talk, the clock is ticking, you know. The, I'm sure he's not worried about that stuff anymore. Or how am I going to fa- afford rent in Jerusalem because the prices are going through the roof and they won't stop and they're not coming down anytime soon. It's just really bothering me. Or what about the gas prices out there? What am I going to do with that? It's taking up so much money in my budget. Or I'm going into debt. Or why are they still treating me like that at work? And why is my boss always hating on me? And what's this and what's that? I bet he's not worried about those things Anymore, like, I don't know, I just don't see it. I bet his life really, the things that matter really kind of focus in now that he's alive again. And not only that, but we know that a bunch of people start following Jesus, which seems to be a normal, makes sense to me, all right? If you're going to raise a guy from the dead in front of a huge crowd, um, if you're going to raise a guy from the dead in front of me that's been dead for a few days and I went to his funeral like half a week ago, you know, I, and, and now he's back alive, like, I believe you're going to be God, okay? Like, like, that's something I would believe. And so all these people, they start, um, they start following Jesus. And remember the religious leaders who hated Jesus in Jerusalem just a few miles away, um, remember what they decided? They were like, Hey, not only now do we need to kill Jesus, which they will be successful in, kind of, in just a few days, uh, but now they're like, we need to kill Lazarus too, because he's like the walking testimony that Jesus raised him from the dead, and that's not cool. You think when Lazarus heard that, that the religious leaders are coming after him, do you think that scared him? Probably not. He's already been dead. He's already done that. He's like, all right, there's nothing that you could do to me that hasn't already been done to me. And so here, what we see is Paul saying, you have been raised. All right, Lazarus was raised from the dead physically. He's saying, no, but so much more importantly, you guys, if you've given your life over to Jesus, you have been raised from the dead. If, big if, you have given your life over to Jesus, and that should change everything, Right? That should change your outlook on life. That should change the way that you live your life. I mean, that should change every aspect of your life. And so that's what he's saying here. That's the way he describes those of us who are 
true Christians. He's saying, hey, if you have been raised with Jesus, if you've actually given your life over to Jesus, you've been raised with him, he says, this is what you got to do. Seek the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, what he does here is he kind of repeats the same phrase, in a sense, twice. Um, basically saying, hey, if we are really Christians, then we need to focus on God's stuff. All right? We need to focus on the things above. We need to focus on what really matters in life, which Jesus has already taught us. And you know, this is all throughout the Bible is that our main goals as Christians is to help other people become Christians, right? Our main goal as a true believer and our true follower of Jesus is to tell other people about what Jesus did for them, that they can have hope. They don't have to pay for everything they've ever done wrong, that Jesus wants, their creator wants a relationship with them. And that's actually something we're going to be talking about in just a couple of weeks. Paul's going to kind of end the book on that. But we're able to do that. That's our job because of what Jesus voluntarily did for us. And because of that, we don't have to worry. We don't have to have anxiety about the things of this world. We don't have to be weighed down by the things fighting for our attention. Instead, we need to focus on the job that God has given us and the mission that he's given us. And we need to focus on his work and not all the things that are vying for our attention day in and day out. Real quick, I know it was on the verse before, but did you notice the order that Paul gives us in? All right, the order is important. Um, religion, okay, this is a huge category, actually teaches the exact opposite order. This is hugely important. I feel like I talk about this all the time, but this is really the main reason why Paul's writing this book, so it's in here all the time. But uh, this is what religion teaches. This is the definition of religion, basically. It's religion teaches us, hey, we need to focus on the things above, using Paul's wording, and um, when we focus on the things above, then you will be saved. Or you need to focus on the things above, and then you will go to heaven. You need to be good, and then God will someday reward you with this thing called heaven. Now, remember, that thinking, which is completely off, which is completely wrong, is the thinking, that's the reason why Paul is writing this letter in the first place. Right? That's the problem with these Colossian people are having. They're wrestling with this idea that they think they can somehow earn their way to God by doing just a bunch of good stuff. All right? But being a good person at work, being a hard worker, you know, um, treating people kind. They think that because of that, they can earn their way to God. But what they're actually doing is they're combining various religions around them and various traditions and various basically human ideas with Jesus. And that's not right. And so we actually, today, we do the same thing. There's tons of churches all around us that say, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you get to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, Paul's saying the exact opposite here. He's saying, no, 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 here's the deal. Jesus saved you. He saved you. And if you believe it, and if you surrender your life to him, then you have the ability to focus on what matters him. You get the difference? You are saved, then you focus on above. Not you focus on the above hoping that you'll be saved. There's two different ways of looking at it. One is dead wrong. All right, Paul's saying, Jesus saved you, now you can live for him. He goes on, verse 3. He says, for you die. See, we were dead. And really what happens here is that when we give our life to Jesus, he makes us a new person. 
right? He does that within us. I mean, think about what happens in the moment that we have given our life to Jesus, which um, probably not everybody in this room has done, but those of us who have, had, who have done that, it's a moment in our life, and in that moment, we die to our old self is kind of how Paul is putting this, meaning we have a new identity with Jesus. All of a sudden, we have a sense of purpose that goes well beyond what this world could ever offer. Uh, we have new meaning for us. We have a new reason to live, and our life, it, it just changes. Like, there's a change there. And so here what Paul's saying is he's like, hey, that old you, dead. That old you has died. It is gone. It's over. And when Christ, who is your life, he's the one who gives us life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I wish I could spend more time just on this because he kind of throws this in. It's kind of, you know, off on a tangent maybe a little bit. But he's just, basically what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, guess what? Jesus is coming back someday. And because you've given your life over to him, man, you get to be with him forever. Right? Like that's pretty good news. Right? All right, I mean, I'm down with that. You don't have to go, I guess. I wish you would, but you'll get to live with him for eternity. I mean, that's awesome. That's what he's saying. He's like, yeah, it's going to be sweet. He kind of throws that in there. In the next verse, verse 5, he says, therefore, now, when I was in seminary, the professors kind of knocked it in our heads. They're saying, and whenever you run into a therefore, you got to ask, what's it there for? All right, kind of corny and dumb, but it makes sense. So he's saying, because... Jesus, when we give our lives over to him, he has put our old self to death because we died. He says, now we have some work to do. We got to put to death what belongs to our earthly nature. And it's kind of interesting to me that Paul, he talks about this earthly nature thing because I think a lot of times we give our life to Jesus. We think, um, really, we assume that all our problems are just going to go away and it's going to be rosy. And we're having this huge new outlook on life, which is, I mean, we should. And we're just going to stop doing wrong. We're just going to stop sinning. We won't struggle after all these things anymore. After all, right, Paul's saying we're a new person. Like, that's what I think some of us think. But here what Paul's teaching us is he's, he's saying, yeah, you are a new person. In that moment, God changes you on the inside. Jesus is taking care of that. You don't have to worry about that. But Paul also acknowledges that we still have this earthly nature that keeps hanging around. Right? It just keeps following us around. It's in our heart still. Like we are still selfish and we are still greedy and we still sin and we still say things that we shouldn't and we still hurt others around us and we still struggle with sin in our lives. And Paul's saying, you got to put that to death. You have to put that away. Like it just doesn't go away on its own. You can't just say, all right, I'm going to stuff it. You can't just do that. It's a process. You have to put it away. And Paul gives us a list as an example here. He's like, for example, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And really, he's, he's saying, hey, these things, what they end up doing, the idolatry part, is he's like, it ends up becoming an idol in your life. Meaning, God's supposed to be number one. Well, those things end up taking the place of God, and they run your life. That's how it naturally works in our life. And all these that he lists out here, they all, um, all these particular issues, they all deal with, every single one deals with sexual sin. Kind of interesting, right? Like that's what he picks out. Uh, this first word, 
Uh, sexual immorality is the word in, the, in Greek. It's called pornea, where we get our word for pornography from. And pornea is like the junk drawer of sex. Basically, pornea is any sexual act, any sexual act, outside of God's design. And uh, God designed sex. He designed sex in a specific way. This is what the Bible teaches us. This isn't my opinion. This is the Bible saying that it's one man, one wo- woman married for a lifetime. That's it. All right? Any other desire, which we all got, okay, it's a part of a, all of us, he's saying we need to put to death because it is coming for you. Do you guys realize that? Do you realize that sin is coming for you? Like it's coming for you. Like it hunts you down. In fact, the Bible tells us that Satan, who's our enemy, um, is like a roaring lion prowling around waiting for somebody to devour. Right? He's, just, he's just looking for someone to take down constantly, which means we all need to be on guard. I don't think we take that serious enough. Like I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel like I take that serious enough, but Satan is out there and is wor- looking for us. I mean, sin is out there trying to take us down. I mean, picture it this way, and I know this might sound stupid, but I don't care. Um, what if there was like a lion that was trained to kill you, just you, okay? And it was outside somewhere, roaming around, doing whatever lions do, and looking for you. And, uh, and you're here at church, and it's just waiting for you to come out of church, right? It's going to have lunch. And uh, how, when you walk out the door today, okay, you're not going to be like, you know, skipping, doing, whistling, doing what some of you happy people do, you know, out to your car. So, goodbye, you know, good luck, everybody. I'll see you later. Have a good week. You know, you're not going to be doing that. There's a lion out there trying to kill you, right? Okay, yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to go up to the, one of these glass doors. You're going to be like, anybody see a lion out there? There's one trying to kill me. <laughs> you see that? Was that over there? All right. What are you going to do? You're going to make a plan. You're going to be strategic about how the heck you're going to get out to your car. You're going to be like, all right, this is what we're going to do. You're going to break. All right, you guys go over here. You distract that lion. I'm going to, I parked over here, so I'm going to run out these doors. I'm going to get to my car before, make sure my car's unlocked, you know. And uh, you're going to come up with a plan to get out of here without the lion coming in and, and getting you. And ultimately, let's say that lion was trained to do nothing else but track you down. Ultimately, what would you have to do? You, you would have to kill that lion before it kills you. That's the seriousness that Paul's trying to put this in. All right, Paul's like, you got to put that sin to death. Otherwise, it's going to put you to death. He says, because of these, right, that first list, sexual sin, is what he pointed out first. It's the first list he's got. He says, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Right? And you, by the way, once walked in these things. Meaning before you were a Christian, notice by the way, this is past tense right here. Once walked, past tense. Meaning before you were a Christian, guess what? That was like what ruled your life. Like you once walked in those things. You once walked in sin. You were actually ruled by sin when you were living in them. Like it's a part of us. And we don't, we walk around, we put on our Instagrams and Snapchats and Facebooks, there's all this stuff. We make our life look so good. But he's like, no, no, you're actually ruled on the inside by this stuff. He says, but now it's different, man. All right, it's different. Now we have the ability to put away all of the following. Now here's where he gives us our second list of things we need to unload. He says things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Now, all of these things aren't sexual. These things all have to do something, it's 
all has to do with the ways that we use our mouth, like our words. Kind of interesting that he talks about that now. He's saying, hey, this has to do everything with what we say. I mean, these are the two main categories that he's like, hey, you need to take these things off of you, right? Basically, if I had to sum this down, he's basically saying, hey, keep your mouth shut, keep your pants on, all right? That's what he's saying. If you do that, you'll be doing all right as a Christian, okay? You control yourself that way. And by the way, don't tell me that the Bible's out of date, all right? Because this is 2,000 years ago is exactly what we're dealing with today. We as humans, we have not changed all that much. And so he's saying, hey, you need to put those things away. Put away those two lists. Or the same word is take these off of you. He says, and do not lie to one another since you have put off or take, taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. He says, you are being actually renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Okay? So the idea that he's saying here is he's saying we are, it's like we're changing clothes. And not only are we to put to death our earthly nature, not only are we to take off our old self, not only are we to put on our new self, but God is constantly renewing us too. Like while we are working on ourselves, he is also working on us on the inside. Right? He's, he, he's taking us apart. He's working on us on the inside. In verse 11, he says, therefore, here we go. What's it? Therefore, I don't know, but yeah. Um, he's connecting these two thoughts. He says, because he's renewing us and he's working on us on the inside as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved by him, he says, we can put on or we have the ability to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I don't know about you. I've never met anybody that's like, you know what I really like to do? Man, I love being patient. Like, I've never thought that. I've never said that. I've never heard anybody else say that. And here, the patience, you know, we view patience as like a lot of things, like be patient while you're waiting in line. Or like I'm patiently waiting for Ohio State to win the national championship this year, and i got to wait all the way to January, which is a long time, I feel like, but it's going to happen. And, you know, and so, so I'll wait, I guess. But I don't want to wait. I want it to happen now. I want it to happen this weekend. That would be awesome. Bring college football back, please. Um, it's coming, but it'll be all right. Anyway, so, why am I getting off on that? Okay. <laughs> but this is what he's saying. It, all these things, all right, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, you know what all these have to do with? Us relating to each other. Right? It's, it's us. Right? It has, it, he's talking about our relationships with each other. You ever find it hard to um, get along with people? Any of you guys out there? Once in a while? Yeah, because people are a pain, Right? People can be a pain. You can be a pain too. I can be a pain. Um, that's just how we are. That's what he says in the next verse. He's like, bear with one another. This literally means put up with each other. You can handle it. Bear with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Here, Paul, as he's writing this, just notice, Paul assumes that we were going to have problems with each other. Isn't that kind of funny? Like he assumes that? Like even here at church, like church is supposed to be the place, we're supposed to be the people that live like Jesus, that show kindness and love and everything should be good. Paul does not assume we ever achieve that fully. Isn't that kind of weird? Like this is God, I mean this is, you know, this is the Bible here telling us this. So you're at church, will you ever get your feelings hurt? Yeah, it's going to happen. 
okay? People are going to hurt your feelings. Are you ever going to get offended by people here at church? Yeah. Am I going to ever offend you? Yeah, probably, right? <laughs> like it's going to happen at least once or twice a year, maybe more for some of you, maybe less for the others of you. Like it's almost like Paul, he's, he's assuming that as we're doing life together, which is the way we're supposed to do life together, how we're supposed to live life, as we're doing life together, it's like we, we bang into each other as we're doing life. Like, we just kind of scrape each other and we bang into each other. Here's what some of you guys need to understand. Listen closely. That's life. Okay? Like, that's life. That is going to happen. Too many times I feel like I see people who, they get offended by, sometimes it's something as simple as tone. Like, they didn't say that the right way to me. You know, it's not even what they said. And it's like, you know, we just get bent up out of shape with each other. And it's just, and, and, and what do we do? We just, like, ignore them. Like, all right block. I'm not dealing with you. I'm not talking to you anymore. And we just carry that along with us through life. That is not how we are supposed to live our life. That is not how Christians should ever live their life, right? We are going to bang into each other. That's life. Should it happen in a perfect world? Of course not. But we're not living in a perfect world right now. Maybe someday, but not now. It's going to happen. And here's Paul saying, count on it. Right? This is the Bible. This is God's word saying, count on it. And when it does happen, guess what? There's an opportunity for you to forgive. There's an opportunity for you to be patient. There's an opportunity for you to show kindness. There's an opportunity for you to show compassion. I mean, there's an opportunity for you there. That's what he's pointing out. That's not what any of us want to think about. He's saying, when you're doing this, right, when people are doing things, you know, they're treating you wrong or whatever. He's saying, you need to remember that just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. He's saying, remember that bill that you owe that you couldn't pay. Remember this bill we talked about last week? All right, big, long bill. It just goes on and on and on. These are, whoa, this is like five-point font of all the things you've ever done wrong. It just goes on and on and on. Okay, this is, this is our sin that we take before God. Remember what Jesus did to that last week? What Paul explained? He's saying he nailed that to the cross, meaning he threw it away. It's gone. It's over. You don't have to worry about it anymore. He has forgiven it, the debt that we couldn't pay. He paid for it by erasing it, or he, he erased it by paying for it. Right? We need to remember that God forgave us so we can forgive others. But what if they don't deserve it? They don't. They don't deserve it. You don't deserve forgiveness either. None of us do. That's not, the, by the way, that's not the game that we are playing. It's not how Christians live. See, as Christians, we don't walk away from each other. As Christians, we walk towards each other. And you know what makes that a heck of a lot easier? Is by remembering how God forgave you. That will help you forgive people when they wrong you. And so Paul here is saying, you need to put on these things. Like you would put on new clothes. He does not give us an action to do, or he does not just give us an action saying do this. He also gives us motivation. That's this last part, which we've already mentioned, right? God forgave us. That's the motivation. See, we do these things. We forgive people not to somehow earn God's approval and to make him happy with us. We do this because we are God's people and he saved us. 
That's why we forgive. That's why we show kindness. That's why we show love. That's why we show compassion. And here's Jesus. Basically, he's saying, hey, dress like me and, make, and, and look like me. I've already bought the clothes. You've already accepted the clothes. Now put them on. In verse 14, he says, above all, let me just dumb this down for you. Is basically what Paul's saying. All right, let me dumb it down for you. That list was too complicated. Just put on love. Love each other, which is the perfect bond of unity. That's what keeps us together. We're not perfect. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. He kind of throws that in at the end. And by the way, be thankful. All right, this word rule, it's actually the same word for umpire, meaning God's the one who's supposed to be ruling our life. He's the one that gets to call the balls and strikes, not us. Verse 16 Last two verses, he says, and do this, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Now, word of Christ, this is, you know what this is? It's God's word, right? It's the Bible. This, by the way, is what keeps us grounded and keeps us straight. Um, many churches have started with the Bible, and then they have moved off in a wrong di direction because they take the things that they like in the Bible, they keep those, and they discard the things that they don't like in the Bible. And so they end up kind of coming up with their own religion, and they come up with their own beliefs. That is not who God is. The Bible is what keeps us straight. It's the only thing, really, that keeps us straight because every single one of us, we all like to veer off the path. And so here he's saying, hey, the word of Christ or the Bible or God's word, whatever you want to call it, scripture, he says, that should dwell richly among you, meaning within you. See, some of you guys, this might be your biggest problem, those of you, you know, some of you guys as Christians, is you don't know the Bible. And that's on you. Right? Like, let me just say, coming to church once a week and hearing me talk through 17 verses that's not enough God's word, all right? That's not enough of the word of Christ in you, all right? It's not dwelling richly in you. That's a problem. That's, that's your problem, all right? That's one of them. <laughs> See, it's not dwelling richly in you. It's like you have a puny, sad little amount of Bible in you. It's not going to work out. That's not, it's not going to grow in your relationship without reading this book that, you know, this basically giant text message that God has sent you. You don't know what he wants you to do. He, you know, you don't. You're not, you're not communicating with them, right? He says, that should dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He says, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Meaning every, the way we should live our life, everything we do in our life, it shall all be how am I bringing glory to Jesus? Or how am I fulfilling the job and the mission and the work that God has given me? Notice, by the way, that as Paul's writing this, um, it's all within the assumption that we are doing this together. Like your relationship with God will only go so far if you are isolated. It's just how it is. Right? Some people, I've talked to a lot of people about stuff like this, and some people are just like, you know what? My relationship with God is very personal. Um, I do my devotions on my phone every day, and sometimes I listen to podcasts, and I watch church online, and I'm good. And I'm like, no, you're not. Not according to God. <laughs> you know, you're not good. That's not how you're supposed to, that's not how the Christian should live their life. Right? We are meant to do life together. Spirituality always works itself out in community. You guys got to understand that spirituality always works itself out in community. You can only get so far 
on your own. Right? It's kind of like that lion who's out there outside, like, you know, trying to, trying to take you down. Any of you guys ever watch, like, Discovery Channel, you know, where they go and they, lions are hunting or whatever, I don't know. Um, you know, let's say they're going after the gazelles, if that's what you call, yeah, there's no, I don't know, gazelles, yeah. So there's, like, a herd of those, and uh, the lion's going after them. What's the, you know which one the lion's picking off? Yeah, the little three-legged one that's straggling in the back, you know, it's going to take that one. All right, why? Because it's, it's isolated. It's probably lonely too, uh, but it's, it's isolated, right? And I think Satan kind of works the same way. I think sin works the same way, meaning, and I know this is going to sound weird and I recognize that, meaning it's good for us to stay in the herd. <laughs> like it's safer for us to be in the herd. We we're meant to do life together. That's the reason for the church. The church was God's idea. It's not my idea. Right? That's why I would encourage each person. You guys should be doing more with people from church than just being here on Sunday mornings. I mean, you could, we got a men's Bible study before, before church on Sunday mornings. We got uh, women's groups that will be starting up here pretty soon. Uh, we got oh, AJ's Wednesday night class where we just all get together and we just hang out with each other and we discuss stuff. Like, like that's, how, that's how we're supposed to do life together. Some of you guys are so isolated from stuff. Like you just go home, you, you walk in here, and you sit in the same seat, you talk to the same three people, you drink your coffee, you listen, and then you walk out the doors, you don't see anybody else for a whole week, okay? That is not how we're supposed to do life. It's just not it. See, even Jesus is a perfect example. Even he didn't isolate himself, right? He did life together within a group, and that was God. How much more do you need a group? Jesus did that with both men and women, and it wasn't a closed group either. He never stopped reaching out. He never stopped inviting people into the group. So basically today, what's Paul saying? He's saying a whole lot. <laughs> He's saying, hey, we were dead. We were dead, deader than dead. And God gave us the opportunity to be alive. And because of that, you know what we could do? We give our lives over to Jesus, then we can set our minds on God things and not world things. That's always vying for our attention. And then, not only that, but what will help us is we can put to death, we need to put to death our earthly nature, which keeps hanging around. We need to put that to death. Namely, our sexual sin and namely the things that we say that we shouldn't say. We don't have to live like that anymore. Literally, Paul's saying, take those things off. Kind of like my shoes, freshman year of track. They're just messing you up, slowing you down. And you replace it with your new self that God's given you. And that new self is supposed to be worked out in a community of Christians. That's how we're supposed to live our life. And so I guess my question for you today is, how are you doing with that? Not just like in general. Let's be more specific. How are you doing with that on a daily basis? Probably something we all in here can agree that we all need to improve on. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for these words. And there's a lot going on here and it's, it's a little complicated. There's, there's a lot of subjects that Paul kind of rambles through here. But God, we, um, 
we, number one, ask that if there's anybody in this room, which we know there probably are, that people who haven't given their lives over to you, God, that they would do that today. Not wait another single day, that they would do that today. Because we're not guaranteed any amount of time. And maybe you can, anybody, anybody else, or any other Christian in here, you know, we'd be happy to help them do that. Use us. God, we also ask that those of us who are already believers and those of us who have already given our lives to you at some point in our life, Lord, that, that we would help you to live the way that you called us to live, that you would help us take off that sexual junk in our life and take off the, um, the stuff, you know, the things that we say that we shouldn't say, our, our words, that we help us take those things off and help us put on living life the right way with kindness, compassion, patience, forgiveness in community here at Grace, the way that you've called us to live. And help us never stop reaching out. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.